stealing in as relapse hums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the day when you give in. Give in. Hello and welcome to episode 371 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus. Oh, um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and this is Carlos Welch from Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, great episode today. We have got Joe Stapleton, who uh, I'd be surprised if there's too many people who don't know Joe Stapleton from uh, WSIP Commentary, among other places, um, and the uh, Poker in the Ears podcast, which uh, we talk about this. I will be a guest on fairly soon. Um, if he sees sense, he'll uh, probably put Carlos on there at some point as well. Um, yeah, super fun conversation, I thought, with uh, with Joe. A.K.A. Stapes. Stapes. <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun conversation. Like, uh, within, like, the first five minutes, I was, like, locked in. So, uh, I know if uh, I was, like, super, super engaged immediately like that as a participant in the conversation, I know the listeners will feel the same way. Like, I almost want to just sit back and just listen to him talk the whole time. Yeah, it, it is nice getting, I mean, and he really is about as professional as you get in the world of like poker broadcasting. But, uh, you know, we have a lot of different kinds of people on, on the show and, and I enjoy them for different reasons. But people like him or Brad Wilson's another good example of someone who's done a ton of like podcasting. And um, it is less work on our part. <laughs> you get someone who's just capable of uh, being entertaining in, in their own right and uh, don't require a lot of uh, a lot of prompting i mean i enjoy the conversations where we have to do more work but it is more work and it is nice to just sort of uh kick back and enjoy a conversation with a person who's like you know bringing the uh, bringing the energy themselves yeah yeah i i, I almost I, I think he might have changed my life within the first five ten minutes like that's how how crazy it was um kind of a spoiler alert but hell you're about to listen to it anyway so uh, <laughs> not much of a spoiler um yeah he was talking about how much he enjoys playing, uh, uh, how much he enjoyed playing live poker when he um, first got into it with not so much this like cutthroat profit motive, but just hanging out with cool people, which is something that I kind of used to feel. Um, uh, but I don't feel that so much anymore. I think, you know, everybody pretty much knows my disdain for live poker. But I think that's mostly because of... Um, the uh, type of players I play against. I, I, this is probably, um, this probably, I don't know if this is true, but this might be a spot where uh, correlation actually does equal causation. But I feel like the better, the worse the opponents are uh, in terms of like how good they are profit-wise for you, the less they're gonna be in terms of like spending time with them. And so I think back to like some of my earlier days in poker, like, you know, the one or two occasions where maybe actually only one where you and I have had an opportunity to play together. Like, I really enjoyed that, that trip to um, Pittsburgh. I really enjoyed it, but it's not something I want to make a habit of because, you know, I got, <laughs> you know, I got gas money bills to pay. Uh, but uh, Joe talking about enjoying playing with um 
um, maybe tougher competition, but um, high quality people kind of reminded me of like those sort of experiences. And I think because of, you know, his comments, I'm going to like seek out more opportunities to play against uh, tougher competition as long as they're like cool people. Yeah, what, what it reminded me of, I think it's probably been close to two years now, or it would have been close to two years since we recorded this, but I remember at, at the start of the pandemic, um, we were sort of talking about how we didn't miss live poker, <laughs> like we had already not played for, uh, you know, I, I, I think I stopped playing in like late January of, of uh, 2020, and um, so you know, we're maybe six or eight weeks into uh, my not playing live poker, and I was like, oh yeah, I don't even, I don't even really miss it, but two years later, uh, I do miss it. I've I've played a couple of times, but I've mostly still been avoiding uh, casinos. There was just the um, the Maryland State Poker Championships was going on at Maryland Live, but with the uh, Omicron variant running wild, uh, I declined to participate in that. And uh, I mean, there's always the FOMO of like, you know, I, I, the way I like to put it is, you win every poker tournament you don't play. Like you are, you're always sort of yeah. imagining like that could have been the one that I. <laughs> I won. Um, you win everyone you don't play, and you lose everyone you do play. Yeah, <laughs> So I mean, there's always the FOMO of like seeing, and then you know, like you, you see whoever. And I will say, as of this moment, I don't yet know who wins the the um, the main event of that. So this is not a knock at anyone in particular, but just like you know, you often if it's in your local spot, like you know who wins it, and you're like that fucking guy, that fucking guy won it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, I mean, there, there's like the the general FOMO over something like that, and then at this point, I think I would uh, for for a short time probably even enjoy like just sitting around and uh, you know casually playing some one two in, in a casino which it takes a lot for me to make a claim like that but um i think we're there see i'm i'm still not there um but to <laughs> joe to joe's point like i can remember being in vegas um hanging out with the guys at the tb house and like in the morning i would ask them where they were going to play that day and then i would go the opposite direction so if they were going <laughs> to you know uh Venetian or uh, Planet Hollywood or something, I would always go to Binion's because that's where the easy money was. But, you know, uh, times when I have had opportunity to play with them, I've enjoyed it. Like, even though we didn't talk much at the table because I'm an asshole like that, um, I enjoy being at the table with, with these guys. So, like, yeah, I don't know if I want to play a random one-two game right now, but now that I can afford it, I definitely would not mind playing a live game with you right now. Yes, you know, that part is not like I feel like you and I can just which is the nice part about doing the show you know like we can just hang out without uh needing because I feel like once we're playing cards like neither of us is that interested in in talking or the conversation is going to be less like I'd rather hang out with cool people away from the poker table and then like the poker is just a different thing you you, you know what it is I love railing and so this is just an opportunity for me to like pay a small fee to get closer <laughs> while I'm really like it's not more about talking to you at the table it's more about watching you play and see how all this shit works in real time uh, see that's why we're different because I hate railing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that Joe Stapleton interview coming up. I think you, uh, everyone will definitely enjoy that. Uh, first, we have a strategy segment for you. And if you enjoy these strategy segments, please do subscribe to patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. And you can get, as the name promises, daily strategy segments from us. So today's hand comes to us from Chris, who played this in a 50 cent $1 game on an app. Uh, action starts with the cutoff playing a $200 stack, opening for $3, three big blinds. 
our hero is in the small blind with ace jack offsuit um he covers so our effective stacks here are really 185 dollars I, I said 200 because i'm lazy 185 dollars are our effective stacks um i would pretty much always three bet here small blind versus cutoff i think ace jack is like a good enough hand and one of the big downsides of calling is you're inviting the big blind um to come in and, and realize equity so even if you don't think that uh your hand is a, a big favorite against the cutoffs opening range you just have to be in, in defensible shape and it, it's nice to push the button out or, sorry it's nice to push the big blind out uh, i imagine since this is an app game there's not like rake coming out of the pot but um in raked games there's even more incentive to three bet because you care a little bit more about ending the pot pre-flop so that you don't pay rake yeah this is something that i've personally been working on is um widening my um um, late position versus late position three bet ranges closer to what the gto ranges look like and um ace jack offsuit is definitely going to be in there yeah, now this is assuming that the cutoff is appropriately aggressive. Uh, I can imagine some you know, really nitty players where I might not consider Ace Jack good enough to three bet, but uh, as a default, you know, cutoff opening range should be wide enough that Ace Jack is a good three bet. Yeah, and, and here's the thing that used to uh, why I've kind of started widening my ranges because yeah, you got these like super nits like you're describing, but I would kind of view in the past I would view a nitty player as nitty all over the board, and I would kind of like. Um, tighten up too late uh, tighten up too much in late um, position because of that but let's say if we're not looking at like a super net but we're say we're online and this is a guy who runs like maybe 15 12 uh, like he's tight but he's not a net and maybe that's a guy I wouldn't three bet when he opens from early position but from the cutoff um, I should be three betting him uh, more often than I used to yeah mm-hmm. Uh, so Chris does make it 15 from the small blind, which I think is fine. I, you could maybe get away with being a little smaller here, like 12 or 13, um, especially since the original race was already uh, 3x, but not a big deal. I think it's better to, you know, I'd rather see 15 than 9, which is, I know what some people would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so he makes it 15, the big blind folds, and the original razor calls, which means we're going to the flop heads up. $31 in the pot, $170 in the effective stack, so SPR close to six. And the flop is ace, six, deuce, rainbow. Our hero has ace, jack, offsuit. What are your thoughts now on betting versus checking? This, you you won't remember this, <laughs> but this hand takes me way back uh, a couple of years ago, I can't even remember what year it was. Uh, maybe like 2016. I was playing the main event at Cherokee, and there was a guy on my um, right who was uh, opening a bunch of hands. And this is when I just first started like learning to three bet. Like, um, and uh, I three bet the guy. He called, and then I like I flopped top pair. It was kind of a uh, maybe I had like Queen Jack and it was like a Queen high board so kind of a weak top pair and um, I started with a check and um, ended up getting the guy to blast it off but of course 
I ended up discussing the hand with you because they sucked out on me. But <laughs> I did I did kind of get the exact situation I wanted. But when I was discussing the hands and with another friend at the casino, he was saying I should have seen about the flop. And I ran the hand by you. And uh, you said, no, that the hand was perfectly played. So uh, with that, I always think back to that when in these spots where you three bet you flop top pair and like when is a good time to check i think the best time to do it is when you don't have a ton of value targets so mm -hmm. like when you like in this spot for example uh basically when your kicker is uh, on the lower end this one i'm kind of on the fence about checking because when the top card is an ace your opponent generally will have a decent number of like second best hands they can call a bet with um, so this particular hand, I would have seen that, but let's say if we had King Jack on a King high board, I would definitely check in that case. Yeah, I, I think you're right to zero in on the possibility of the villain having worse aces. And I also think you're right, this is like a very close decision, um, but it may not be close depending on the opponent. So when I say close, it's like in the absence of any information about the opponent. Uh, the looser <clears throat> the looser this player is pre-flop, the more you think that they're going to have, um, you know, if they're calling a, this 3-bet with ace-10 offsuit, ace-9 offsuit, uh, now betting starts to look very appealing, I think. Um, I mean, the, the thing about having a worse ace as your value target is it really matters how many streets are you going to bet because this is a super static board. You know, if you have ace-jack and your opponent has a worse ace, the, the ranks of your, like the, the, subjective strength of your hand is not likely to change you know no overcard is going to come there's not even like straight or flush draws really to, to that are going to change the value of the hand so the main reason to bet the flop would be if you think your hand is good enough to bet three times that means you have to believe the villain is calling pre-flop with a lot of dominated ace x and also will continue to call three streets with dominated ace x those villains are absolutely out there against them i think it's very important to bet the flop and you know, to plan on betting three streets uh stack to pot ratio six is in general a little high for getting all in with top pair especially in a three bet pot but you know that's one of the exploits against the looser player you can lower your standards for what counts as, as a very strong hand so that would be the case where i think betting flop is most important um it also matters a little bit you know how much do you think this player is going to four bet ace queen or ace king pre-flop the more that you can just sort of assume like ace jack is basically the nuts if you think he can't have ace queen or ace king that's going to make it a lot more profitable to say i'm just going to bet 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 with ace jack yeah, and uh, most of the people I play against fall into that category, so I kind of think that's why my mind immediately went to that went to that um, scenario. But Chris did mention that the cutoff was a strong player, so against this player type, I think we're gonna have a hard time getting three streets paid off with worse, given the strength of our range. So I think a check makes uh, more sense in this scenario than um, uh, I'm used to playing. Yeah, and, and I can tell you that um, I, I know from experience, a lot of people, when they have kings here or queens here in Chris's shoes, are terrified of checking. Um, I have this argument all the time with students <laughs> where they just want to bet the flop because they're like, well, I, I'm afraid if I check, he's going to start betting and I'm not going to know where I stand. And if that's true, you don't know where you stand. Well, the implication to that is he's doing a lot of bluffing, right? Because otherwise you do know where you stand. You are behind. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think if, if, if the concern is when you when you check here with kings or queens, you're giving your opponent a lot of incentive to start bluffing. Well, that's where your incentive to check with ace jack 
comes from. That's most of it. Um, it is the possibility of if the villain has a really bad hand here that he wouldn't even think about calling a flop bet with. And the looser he is pre-flop, the more likely he is to have that kind of hand. Um, then your checking has the upside of, especially if, if you think he will kind of attack that as, as weakness, then checking has the upside of letting him do that. You're, you're representing that you're scared of the ace, that you have kings or queens or something. Uh, now, I think it's important to get beyond one street thinking with this. You know, it's not, okay, I check and do this one bluff and then he shuts down. It's not worth that much to you if, if the trade-off is you're missing out on the opportunity to get three bets from from a worse hand. Um, so I, I think the ideal player is one who will really blast off, not just fire once, but who will you know bluff multiple times into a check. The more you believe that's true of your opponent, the more incentive you have to, to check to induce those bluffs. Yes, that, that was the exact description of my Cherokee opponent from back in the day. <laughs> uh, Chris does check here. And the villain checks behind, which, um, I mean, the more that the expectation was that this player was going to bluff when checked to, the more we should interpret this check as, not as weak, but as medium, you know, as indicating he has a hand that he doesn't perceive as, as needing fault equity. Uh, I think that, you know, in theory, he could be slow playing some very strong hands. He's not really going to have a lot of very strong hands. Um, medium strength hands are really the ones that have the most incentive to check and medium strength could be anything from like pocket fives all the way up to you know ace nine suited or something you know he has like top pair with it with a good kind of checking for the same reasons that you're checking with ace jack uh, i mean i think the the other likely possibility would be that he has some kind of uh, you know very bad hand, hand you know, no pair um not even a lot of high card value so like king queen has a lot more incentive to check than something like 10 nine offsuit does there's more reason for him to bluff when he has 10 nine offsuit uh so i think that if he is checking, it should be pushing him more towards those medium strength hands, or um, the if the reason you were checking was to induce bluffs and he's not bluffing, you made a bad read. Right. <laughs> uh, so the turn brings the ten of diamonds. The board now is ace of diamonds, ten of diamonds, six of clubs, deuce of spades. So there is a diamond draw on the board. Hero has ace jack with the jack of diamonds. We're still looking at $30 in the pot, $170 in the effective stacks. Um, I think that if we check the flop, we probably want to start betting now. You know, the villain has already had the opportunity to... Um, to bluff and he chose not to take it so going with that uh belief that he probably has some kind of medium strength hand the best way to get value for a medium strength hand is to bet and hope that those hands will call rather than checking and hoping that those hands will bet there's no guarantee that they're going to put money in the pot one way or the other i mean if he has pocket fives if he has uh 10 9 now you know we, we can't force him to put money in the pot no matter what we do but he'll have more incentive to put money in the pot if we bet than if we check yeah, especially if he's uh, the type of player that will perceive our range as weaker, given that we didn't bet the flop, so maybe he yeah. doesn't give us credit for an ace. That kind of, um, uh, it, it promotes, in his mind, it promotes the strength of his um, formerly uh, medium-strength hands to where now I think um, we can uh, potentially get two streets from him. Mm-hmm. And Chris does start betting. It's a nice big bet, 24 into 31. I like it. Me too. And villain calls. So far, so good. River brings the eight of diamonds. 
So there are now three diamonds on the board. Final board is ace of diamonds, ten of diamonds, eight of diamonds, six of clubs, deuce of spades. Hero has ace jack with the jack of diamonds. There's $79 in the pot, $146 in the effective stacks. Uh, I'm still pretty inclined to bet again. I mean, on the assumption that Villain has a lot of medium strength hands, just like on the turn, uh, he's not going to have a lot of incentive to bluff with us if we check to him. He's going to have more incentive to call. Um, he's already had one. Like, so the, the reason to check call the river would be to induce bluffs. The, the re- it's, it's not a matter of, oh, I don't feel as good about my hand as I did before, so now I'm going to play it as a check call. It, it, it's not about how confident you are in your hand. The reason to check call is to induce bluffs, and I think that the villain has already had a chance to bluff the flop. He didn't take it. Also, his most likely bluff, like the most likely missed draw for him to have would be diamonds, but that got there. So if the river had not been a diamond, there might be some reason to, to check call. But I think we're better off going for a thin value bet here rather than trying to bluff catch. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, you and a couple of other coaches help me out by reviewing my uh, WSOP um, 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 bracelet win. And um, through those sessions, the things I made like a little sticky note and I picked out like three of the biggest lessons learned from those. And one of my biggest leaks uh, was I'm reading my sticky note right now. It says, don't try to induce bluffs from hands with good showdown value. And I kind of got that. Um, I kind of got that um, leak. I developed that leak um, because I play against like the aggressive players that I play against tend to be overly aggressive and so they will turn a hand into a bluff they probably don't need to but when I played in that bracelet event I played against some aggressive but still good players who don't do that and so I was kind of like checking in spots like this too often and letting them check back the bluff catchers that they called me with on the previous street so uh, I think this is a good spot Uh, as you said that if the guy wanted to bluff he probably would have done so by now so at this point his hand is likely a bluff catcher and we need to be going for value versus that sort of hand uh, our hero does check now the villain bets 45 into 79 honestly at this point i'm not that excited i mean i am calling but this is part of why i didn't like checking in the first place i don't feel like this is a great spot once we're in it there is a fair bit that we're losing to right I mean, we're losing to all the flushes we're losing to some two pairs even the worst ace x a fair number of those have turned into two pair now so it's not like we've got ourselves this super profitable spot by um by check calling and hands that I don't think are betting are like ace nine, ace five, ace four, <laughs> pocket jacks. Like those are hands that are not betting, but maybe would have called a bet that we're, we're now not getting value from as a result of checking and calling. Um, I agree with that, but what do you, what do you make of um, the fact, like, like if we just um, kind of just put our theory hat on. Like, would this hand make a fairly good bluff catcher because it's blocking the flush? Um, it's blocking like some two pairs. It can beat maybe some hands he would bet for value. I, I've hesitated on that. Like, uh, uh, like on the surface, this looks like a reasonable hand to bluff catch with. Yeah, I think the main thing is just it's. I'm not saying that I would fold once I checked. I think it's more just uh, about why I didn't like checking in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing that check calling is relying on that I think many of your opponents won't do is 
like I saw Salver might sometimes choose to check call there. It's going to count on the villain being more balanced in terms of like, I think that's actually kind of a difficult spot to show up with bluffs again, because it requires the villain to have passed up an opportunity to bluff the flop and then to have called the turn with a weak hand that would then need to bluff on the river. And the most likely weak hand to have called the turn would have been diamonds, which have now gotten there. So for the villain to have bluffs, he has to have like a pretty specific kind of missed straight draw sort of hand, or he has to be turning a pair into a bluff. And it's not a bad spot to turn a pair into a bluff, but I think many players won't do that. Um, the other way that you kind of make money by checking and calling, or at least like make up for money that you're potentially missing out on by not betting is if the, the thinner the villain is going to value bet. Like if he'll look at any ace there and think he can value bet it, then you're not missing out on as much by check calling with ace jack. Um, I think many opponents are overly nitty when it comes to value betting rivers. You know, they, they tend to sort of, um, as Gareth Chandler would say, you know, they're, they're playing the, do I have the best hand game? So right. they're not really trying to like squeeze more value out They're They're terrified of getting check raised on the river. So they tend to just kind of um, check and, and turn it over when they have top pair with a worse kicker than yours. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a solver does some check calling here, but I think against a typical real life opponent, uh, there's not a lot of incentive to do that relative to just betting your hand. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, if it is a call, it's going to be um, just barely good, where bet would have been clearly good. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, Chris did call, which I, I do think is better than folding. And um, the villain did have one of those hands. Uh, the villain had 10-9 of hearts, so he did have absolutely nothing on the flop that he chose not to bluff with. He picked up a pair on the turn, and then... It's a little unclear. I mean, I guess he was turning it into a bluff when he bet the river, or maybe he thought it was a thin value bet. I mean, frankly, I, I really don't like the villain's value, value bet, or the villain's bet on the river. I think the hand <laughs> is um, probably too strong to bluff with, or if he is going to bluff with it, I think it needs to be a bigger bluff than that, right? Like, this bluff <laughs> only makes sense if you're going to get someone off of an ace, and I don't you know, Chris didn't fold an ace. So, you know, I, I don't think he's getting called by worse. I think like when you're going to take a hand this strong and bluff with it, you have to either go big or go home. So the play could be to like shove on, on the villain's part. I think just betting 49 into 70 or whatever it was. Um, I think that's not enough to really expect that anyone's going to fold an ace. You nailed one of, you, you nailed the second of the um, three, um, of the three leaks that I found from our, you know, the bracelet. Second one says, don't bluff with good showdown value. <laughs> so this guy made the mistake that um, I was making at that time. And the other thing um, you said that I kind of like, uh, it made me chuckle because I kind of knew you were going to say it, was if you are going to turn a pair, uh, a hand with good showdown value into a bluff, you got to go big or go home. So I was... I was looking at that, and uh, I was kind of listening to. I, I was thinking that you were gonna say it before you said it. It made me laugh because I know, like, with your help, I'm getting better, and uh, probably two, three years from now, I'm probably gonna grow a beard, just completely turn into Andrew. This is great. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but are you capable of growing a beard? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but hell, hey. Uh, uh, before we did that bracelet review, I wasn't uh, capable of doing a lot of stuff I'm doing now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe, um, you know, all this uh, brocos is uh, rubbing off on me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you, Chris, for writing to us. Uh, everyone, again, please subscribe, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. Great way to support the show. And uh, you can also find strategy material from us at nitcast.com, N-I-T-C-A-S-T.com. Uh, you can get our strategy podcasts, um, some of which we've done with Nate Mavis, uh, the Exploiting Small Stakes Tournament uh, video that Carlos and I did together, and uh, yeah, maybe we should we should start thinking about getting some some new material up there as well. But um, lots of good stuff there at nitcast.com, and please enjoy our interview with Joe Stapleton. Sorry, I, I joined really early and then um, and then walked away right when you let me in. <laughs> 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 no apologize, Joe. You're two minutes early. Who am I speaking to? This is Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Joe. Yeah, this is this is Carlos. Hey, Carlos. What's up, Andrew? Thank you. This is an honor, man. Your podcast is very well regarded. Well, thank you. That's an honor to hear. Yeah. No, yes. I see that. I see people talking about your podcast that I'm jealous. And I'm like, what the, f that's awesome, man. Like I've seen so many interactions between you and people on Twitter that I really respect and look up to. So it's exciting for me. Well, thank you. That's uh, very kind to hear. And, and honestly, I feel, I feel likewise. It's amazing to me. I mean, I don't play a ton of like live events, so I guess that's the reason, but uh, that you and I, as far as I know, have, have not met in person. I hope I'm not uh, forgetting something, but no, I don't think so either. Or if, it, or if we did meet, it was like before either one of us was, you know, a, a well-known. Yeah, you, you probably stacked me at some point back. When no, we God, I don't. Play, I don't play any poker at all. Like the only poker I play. I mean, I don't want to burn whatever we talk about on the podcast. The only poker I really play is like now. I get like occasionally get like make appearances at places, you know. So I'll go play like a five hundred dollar main event like twice a year, but that's about it. Honestly, Joe, the recorder is already running. So unless there's anything oh. you wanted to talk about in advance, we can just do this like Mark Maron style. And yeah, no, that's work. fine with me. I kind of always, you know what? I, another another check in the plus column for the <laughs> Thinking Poker podcast because that's exactly how I would do it too. That's how we used to do it. Actually, we used to not even speak to the guests. I'd be like, look, I'm not being rude to you, but like anything we talk about, like it's just gonna be natural and f free flowing. So like I'm just gonna <laughs> say all the for all the pleasantries on the air. Exactly. You just you you start talking casually with someone, and that's like what you want for the show anyway. So then, like every time we're like having a friendly conversation with someone, I'm like, "Stop! You're burning good material." Like even if we try to recreate this, it's going to exactly. sound forced. Exactly. So, well, if you ever have something pointed you need to get to, just tell me to shut the fuck up because I will just go on and on <laughs> in this format. No, that's uh, I mean that that's the perk of or one of the perks of having someone like you on the show is you know we we have an hour to fill, Joe. Okay, great. Wonderful. A whole hour. That's that, that's why I actually I love podcasts so much. It's my favorite uh, medium because it's the only medium where you I mean radio a little bit too, but it's more or less the same thing. It's the only medium where you can still have a full conversation. Yeah, that was a, a big part of um, the guy who, who used to co-host the show, Nate, um, kind of what he was advocating for, because I was wondering if we shouldn't do something shorter, you know, this, uh, on the idea that like the internet had turned people's attention spans. And uh, he was really pushing for wanting to do something that was more uh, long form. And I, I think you're right. That does seem to be the, the niche that podcasts and or at least the ones that I listen to have settled into. 
I've had this argument on multiple, po- you know, I've hosted a lot of podcasts over the year and I've had this argument and I still, you know, and I've lost the battle in a lot of places. Uh, you know, we, on the podcast that I used to do way back in the day, it was called, it was originally called Two Jacks in the Hole and then it was called Huff and Stapes. And we used to do three and four hour shows and maybe that wouldn't fly anymore. Um, but basically we would do the show till we thought the show was over. Um, and we would have people who would tune in. We used to do it live on Ustream. I don't even know if that still exists anymore. We're talking like 2009 and 10. Uh, and we would have a couple hundred people watch a four-hour show every week. Um, and so that to me is still, you know, the dream to get back to doing something in that format where, you know, it's just you, you feel it. I guess that's kind of what Twitch is now, right? Do you watch a lot of Twitch? Uh, I don't. I, I used to watch Carlos sometimes on Twitch. Other than that, I'm not. I'm not a big Twitch person. Carlos, what's your twi- what's your Twitch poison? Well, I used to um, um, play poker on Twitch, but I don't okay. do it so much anymore, and I don't watch it as much as I used to either. I think podcasts have kind of replaced Twitch for me. Okay, um, we got a um, couple of limp- listeners um, and, um, who enjoy the long form uh, format for reasons like uh, uh, commuting. And uh, one in particular, uh, Daryl Kearney uh, jogs like uh, probably a marathon, a- a- more than a marathon every week. And so the longer, the better for him. Okay, cool. What's up, Dara? Hey, buddy. Who- Is there anything else I should shout out? Right now, that when I was listening, <laughs> anyone that could help my career specifically, it's fine. Don't, don't tell me because I'll. Um, I, I was going to say Clayton Fletcher, but then you said help your career. So, oh, Clayton, well, <laughs> honestly, you know, Clayton's one of my favorite people in the entire world. Clayton has helped my career actually multiple times. Clayton is the first guy in the United States of America to give me a spot at a real comedy club. Wow. Um, Actually, it's not true. Sorry, the first time I ever did comedy, the first time ever, ever, ever was at the behest of Bobby Lee, and it was at the comedy store. Um, that doesn't count because it was so bad, I blacked it out. Like, I literally don't remember what happened. <laughs> um, Clayton, when I wanted to be a stand-up comic, when I was okay, I was had some of the skills needed to be a stand-up comic, put me on at the, uh, the West Side at the Broadway Comedy Club in New York City, in Manhattan. I've, I've been there. I've, I've been to see his show there. Yeah, yeah. And so I will never... I mean, that in and of itself is like a guy that you just remember right on your deathbed. You're like, I want to thank Clayton Fletcher. Um, and then... <laughs> And then, but also every single time I go to New York, I go, hey, man, it can be like, you know, it's awkward. Like if you don't only talk to someone when you need something from them. So I'll be like, yeah. oh, shit, I haven't talked to Clayton in months, but now I have a fucking trip to New York coming up and I got to ask for a set. And he always is like, no problem. Yeah, no worries. No big deal. No, no worries. Don't talk. And he's like, just the coolest dude. And uh, and has done a lot for me. Like, you know, those those comedy club spots that he gets me are like s- some of the best gigs I get all year. And you yeah, just you met him through poker and then. Oh, yeah, dude, this was crazy. So I, I was living in England and um, working for poker stars full time. And uh, full time wasn't that full time. And I was missing home. And I said, hey, do you guys mind if I move back to America? And they're really cool. They're like, yeah, we get it. We, you know, we wouldn't want to be here either. Um, <laughs> and 
let let me move back to the United States. And I guess as a compromise, I was like, I tell you what, like I'll move to New York. So at least if I'm flying back and forth, it won't be, you know, as big of an ordeal or as expensive as if I was living back in Los Angeles. And I was like, I'll give New York a shot and I'll try the stand up scene in New York. So I'm sitting at my computer in New York. I just moved there. Box is still in my apartment, you know, haven't unpacked yet. And I'm trying to find open mics. And I email this guy. Uh, is attached to like, you know, there's like an open mic mailing list. And I email this guy and, and I was like, hey, can I come to your open mic on Wednesday? He's like, are you Joe Stapleton from poker? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you don't do my open mic Wednesday. You can do my show on Saturday. And that was Clayton. He like, oh, wow. So you actually didn't meet him through poker. You, yeah. you called. Wow. Like, I mean, yes, but but through poker. And that's like one of the most amazing things about my life is that like poker has done everything for me. Like, even though like sometimes I act like poker is like not where I want to be forever, right? Like I have, well, I would like to try some other things. All of those, like all, if I start to get like a little ungrateful for poker, I'm just reminded of all the things it's done for me. All the things that aren't poker that I do, like stand up or like it's really fun. Uh, now I sometimes play poker with like some comedians that I idolize when I fucking met Norm McDonald and he asked me to open for him and I was his road opener for like a year and a half. That all happened because of poker. Like that's just crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I got a chance to play with uh, Ray Romano once. That was pretty cool. Right? Right? And imagine you play poker with Ray Romano once. Now imagine you're like just friends with Ray Romano. Like, that's what my life has been like uh, over the last, I want to say, five years or so. Like Michael Ian Black, another guy I like totally worshipped as a kid, ended up becoming friendly because of poker Twitter. A couple of weeks ago, we went, he'll deny this, but we, we spent the whole day together playing poker, went out to dinner. My girlfriend came. Uh, one of his friends from Las Vegas came. It was... You know, like, man, poker's just so we focus a lot, right? Like that what what our jobs are most of the time is focus like how to play good poker and how to win money at poker. And like that's just not my that's just not why I play. And some and so, you know, there's a lot of pressure to be good. And there's a lot of pressure to like study and work hard at it. And you know, winning is secondary to me. Now it sucks. I would love to win. I would love to win ever. <laughs> uh but, you know, that's that is really what's beautiful about poker to me is that like you the God, it's so corny, but it's like it's the friendships we made along the way. <laughs> I feel like specifically for um, interacting with famous people, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I had a similar, well, not similar, I didn't spend a year and a half with him, but I, I played with Norm MacDonald and you do have that. So sort of, anyway, I played with a few other um, famous people as well. Some of them I actually, you know, were famous in a sphere outside of my own. Where I, I didn't even appreciate who I was playing with, and then so right, like, there's yeah. two billion people in the world right now who'd be very excited to be in your yeah. shoes. But, um, what was it like a famous sitar player or something? Uh, cricket, it was Shane Warren. Oh, holy shit! Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to have a blog, and I was I played with him on like day three or four of the main event, and um, I was you know posting my table draw on the blog, and I, I listed him as like some cricket player. <laughs> so oh no! Like, over under <laughs> two billion people in the world will recognize the name Shane Warren. <laughs> oh no um that's why yeah it's just like i feel like if you um you know i think like understandably a lot of uh you know famous 
people sort of get approached and are, are worried that people have like uh um rightfully so you know have to have some sort of like agenda or something it's just like hard to interact on an equal basis and, and poker provides that footing where it's like i mean of course some people can still be cringy i'm sure when yeah like <laughs> somebody famous playing poker but it, it provides a starting point of just like you know we're um we're both doing this this thing and I, I mean i guess it makes it easier for you to then you know you do end up parlaying and into something that helps your career but like that's not your starting point of like how can i no, of use you not. to get a benefit and i just sorry i know it sounds like i was talking about career stuff right but like even taking that part out of it like norm mcdonald was my idol like i thought he was the funniest person in the world and i got to hang out with the person i thought was the funniest person in the world even if i wasn't a comedian that's still something that would blow my mind uh you know that i have vhs tapes of norm mcdonald's appearances from when they originally happened um you know still at my parents house like that kind of stuff just you know is Yes, but but and there's also there's been a million other friends too I've made along the way. You know, I'm telling the ones that are interesting anecdotes on this podcast because people will know who they are, but you know, I think we've all made crazy good friends at the poker player at the poker table even if you are a poker player and so is that other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's surprising. I mean, you see this a lot uh your people are there. I mean, they're literally rivals. Like, I mean, on the tournament scene is one thing where you're playing against so many different people, but even, you know, like casinos where I've been a regular, where it's the, you know, the high stakes community is maybe 30 people or something who are playing in like the high stakes games. And yeah. uh, you're very, you know, it's like literally money that I make is coming out of this other person's pocket and, and yep. vice versa. Uh, but you do still end up, you know, just like your coworkers. It's uh, it's like being a stand up comedian. You're- yeah. Cause you're competitive for spots. Yeah. Your your friends are your competition, and like even though you don't like want them to fail every time they succeed, you're like that should have been me. <laughs> <laughs> I know I mentioned Mark Maron once already, but he has that great line of uh, like feeling like all my friends are succeeding at me. Oh uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean that's that, that's what being a poker player is like, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the WSFP is uh, man, that's yeah, crazy. I look up this Mark Maron guy; he sounds pretty funny. Yeah, he, he might be your cup of tea. Good quote. <laughs> <laughs> he puts a lot of comedians on his podcast. What and maybe and maybe one day I'll be a comedian. <laughs> How did you get started in uh, with, with with poker? Uh, I was living in Los Angeles, and uh, I moved there to be a writer, quote unquote, um, like a TV writer. Yeah, I wanted to be a sitcom writer, but I was kind of lying to myself and to everybody else because I also wanted to be in front of the camera, but I th- I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to admit it. I was like, ah, yeah, it's a- look at all these idiot actors out here trying to make it in Hollywood. Ha, ha, ha. They're losers. I'm a writer. Uh, I'm noble. And so... Um, and but the worst part was like I didn't write like I didn't do anything like I think a lot of kids come out here right and they're just like da 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 entertainment industry and then like don't do the thing they think they want to do and like to this day the only thing I've ever written start to finish is a comic book and by the way well, I'll plug that a whole bunch later because like it's being made um, yeah congratulations on that's thank you exciting back to what I was saying though, was like I didn't do jack shit and so but I did because I was like a hard worker and uh, a relatively likable person I got a job on Mad TV as a production assistant sketch comedy show uh, I think I one remember one Mad TV lowered expectations yeah. Uh, uh, yes exactly um, and I worked there uh, starting in season 8 
and um, it became like a family to me and I loved it and I was making more money than I ever made before in my life even though I was the lowest paid person in the in, on the staff because um, $450 a week sounded like the most money I had ever heard of in my entire life. So I was working there and then uh, a year later, uh, a friend of mine was like, I'm going to apply to be a, an intern at the World Series of Poker for Card Player Magazine. His name was Scott Huff. You may have heard me say Huff and Stapes earlier sure. for my podcast. Um, and Huff uh, got the job, and I drove him out to Las Vegas, and I dropped him off at the card player, like little card player condo for the summer. And they said, uh, you know, we still need some more interns. Do you know anybody who could write? And he goes, yeah, that guy in the car over there, he can write. <laughs> And then I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Because bad TV just happened to go on summer hiatus. Like for the, there was overlap. Like I didn't, I was unemployed. And so I was like, hot shit. Wait, I get to, I get to come to Las Vegas, get paid to be here. Now it was a pittance, by the way, <laughs> I think it was 500 for the entire world series. Um, uh, live for free, get my meals paid for, uh, and not be unemployed in California. Sure. Sounds great. Um, so I, I did that and that, that, that's where, that's where poker started. That's where sort of Huff and I started our, our working relationship as well. What year was this? I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do, Carlos. I'm going to tell you who won the main event that year. And you're going <laughs> to tell me what year it was. Good plan. <laughs> you ready? A little trivia on the show. Do we have any gift certificates we can give away to, uh, to Carabas? Anything like that? <laughs> Listening okay. to this show is gift enough. That's right. That's right. Yeah. The, the gift of Joe Stapleton. Okay, Carlos, here we go. The winner that year was Joseph Hashem. I had a feeling you were going to say Hashem. That was uh, 2000. So far, so good. <laughs> I'm going to go. It's either 14 or 15. I'm going to go Whoa, no. You're off by You're 10 years. off by oh, 10 years. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean four I or five. I actually told you 2000 <laughs> was right so far. It could have been 2014. I guess. Uh, so, uh, I, but I, I, was, I was thinking four or five. Uh, I'm going to go with four. That's five. 2005, <laughs> Carlos. Unfortunately, I will be shredding this gift certificate. I won't even give it to a homeless person. Oh, my God. That was, that was the last one I probably could have gotten. I, I knew three, four, and five. After that, they all run together for me. See, I can name the whole bunch after that because that's when I started working in poker. So 2006. Fucking Raymer. God damn it. <laughs> Raymer. 2005 okay. was Hashem. Then four was Raymer, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this yeah, is especially embarrassing. Easy. Carlos, Carlos was a uh, competitive trivia um, guru, so he really for real. I'm not a guru. Um, <laughs> I play um, academic team in college. I'm in high school. Here's my favorite tr piece of trivia about trivia. Right, I always drop this. I would always like this is like one of my go to date routines to like try to like get a girl to like me. I think. Like, Do you know where the word trivia comes from? It comes from the words try three and via road, the crossroads in ancient Rome where people would stand around and talk about dumb shit. <laughs> I'm that's ready to sleep with you. That's where trivia comes from. <laughs> did not did not know that. See, and you can always use that. You'd be like, look, guys, not only do I know trivia, I know trivia about trivia. <laughs> I'm so meta. <laughs> I've got I'm definitely gonna steal that. Please do. It's for everyone. It's a gift. It's another gift for the audience. Sorry, Carabas. 
So how did how did uh, writing for card player compare to your uh, your dream of writing? Well, I guess it wasn't even the dream writing for uh, for a comedy, but yeah. So when I say it worked at Mad TV, ha, 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 I meant I mean that like I was like the guy that made photocopies and would like deliver scripts to people. Um, I eventually got a job as the production coordinator, which did pay okay. Like again, it was more money than I ever made before in my life. I was now making twelve hundred dollars a week. Um, but it was like you know it was I, I was basically the logistics manager of the of the show so you know oh, I see you're not writing not writing at all and like being very close to the writers in a painful way and like not really knowing I was um I was taught that when someone hires you like let's say like I'm 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 the guy who works at Frito-Lay and they hire me to be the janitor like I shouldn't be like poking my head into the chip meeting just because like my dream is chips um, and so I did not self-promote or schmooze or do anything of the sort in fact I like kept my distance from the writers and the actors because I felt like it would be wrong to to like have like to, to, to just sort of like shirk my responsibilities as production coordinator and that's one of my only regrets in life was being so strict about that to the point where like I really didn't even get what I should have out of that like I didn't stay and hang out with the writers and the people who did like people talked about them you know people talk shit like oh this guy's always fucking hanging out with the writers and I, I didn't want to be that guy but I do I do sort of regret being that guy um but yes writing for card player was was cool because i was writing anything at all and what we uh me and scott huff quickly decided is that we were gonna be the guy that write the guys that write funny <laughs> bust out hands uh and funny like funny puns in the titles of the card player posts you've inspired a whole cringy genre yeah exactly no and i um i've got I, broke I, in my last name it's not good Oh, no, it's terrible. Right, exactly. Like, we were like, oh, shit, like, nobody's funny in poker. Like, let's just do funny shit. And Card Player didn't have a super high tolerance for it, <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, my, they had me back a second year. The second year I came back. So I was, like, bouncing back and forth, like, Mad TV Card Player, Mad TV, you know, World Series of Poker just lined up every year. Um, the second year, they kind of bumped me up to, to producing Huff's videos, and um, again, I wouldn't admit to myself I wanted to be on camera. And, and um, they got pretty mad at a couple of them. They were like, this isn't bad TV. This is <laughs> this is poker. And I was like, okay, okay, fine. Look, you're the bosses. You pay the bill. Bill's fine, whatever. It wasn't until... Um, Wait a minute, wait a minute. This, yeah. this was doing poker's like boom when like Little John and, and Snoop Dogg were involved. So it's crazy that they have this like air of superiority at that time in poker. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, there was... Look, you never know... Like, remember the 90s and how stupid we all dressed? Like, we didn't think it was stupid then, right? We just we just thought, that, like, okay, this is the best anything's ever going to be. And I think that there was an arrogance in that time in poker where everyone was like, this is the... We're the smartest fucking people in the world. And <laughs> this is never going to end. And we're just the greatest. And... um. And there was like just a certain arrogance there that I think w was kind of everywhere. Um, so yeah, so it didn't make sense that they, you know, everyone took themselves so seriously, not knowing how much more serious it was going to get after that. <laughs> I guess. Free Germans. Um, 
Yeah, right. No, well, yeah, just, you know, like before GTO, really, before you know, just before studying, before charts, before solvers, before Black Friday, uh, before regulations, before before taxing, you know, all of that. Everyone's just like thought they were it was just this, you know, f- fantasy land that was never going to end. Um, it wasn't until I did the podcast, my first podcast. So Huff and Seabock and Gavin Smith um Huff worked in po- poker full time while I would go back to Mad TV, and they started a podcast, and that podcast was kind of popular. And then Huff decided he didn't want to work in poker anymore, didn't want to be on the road, and he quit. Uh, and then uh, a different company called Poker Wire, which was like the fu- the poker news version for Full Tilt, um, decided they wanted to do a podcast, and they it was going to be Seabock, Joe Seabock, Gavin Smith, and they were like, "Well, who can we get to replace Huff?" And luckily enough, people were like, you should get this guy, Joe Stapleton, out of L.A. And um, they offered me a job at like, so I was making 1200 a week. They offered me a job at 1000 a week. And it was to host and produce my own podcast that I would 100% be in charge of. I could do whatever I wanted. Like, you know, I, I had bosses, but like I I was every creative aspect of the show. Um, I could do whatever I wanted. I was like, done, sold, great, sign me up. And that's... That's when I really got into the poker world. And were you like, I mean, did poker have interest for you prior to doing the card player thing? Like, did you play poker at all just casually? Yes. So um, when I moved to Los Angeles, I graduated college a year early. And which was in retrospect, I saved a lot of money um, and I got a bit of a head start. But like none of my friends were here. They were all a year behind me. So I like moved to L.A. by myself. And um, the first friend that came out was Huff. And Huff, uh, as many of us did in Lo- when you move to Los Angeles, takes a while before you can get furniture. Huff and I and one other friend, we would sit on milk crates in his empty living room and deal hold'em hands face up. Like over and over and over again. We're just like run boards and run boards and run boards because we were all like too scared to actually play poker. <laughs> <laughs> And then eventually we started just playing amongst ourselves for $5. And then we started going to Hollywood Park and playing 2-4 Limit. Um, and then I remember this is actually a funny story. Is Huff went to go sit down at a No Limit table for the first time. And I think it was a, a $200 buy-in. And we were going to split it. So I gave him $100. And he sat down with $100. And um, and he got... <laughs> He, I was like, wait, you can lose the whole thing on one hand? He's like, yeah, that's no limit. I'm like, shit, get up. Stand up right now. <laughs> Fucking get up. What are you doing? Um, and then uh, he, the very first hand, he he gets in it with two overs and a flush draw and misses. And I didn't know what happened. I was like, wait, wait. you didn't even do it. it wasn't even one hand. It was like a half of a hand. Like, how are you? What happened? Like, how did you? He's like, I had two overs and a flush draw. And I had no idea what that meant at all. And I was like spinning. And I was like, never again. Never, ever, ever, ever will I play this game again. That's insane. That's crazy. That just happened. No way. I'm out. <laughs> Good prediction. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. It was probably a hit. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, so that's sort of where my where my poker level was at when I started working in poker. But I mean, there wasn't that much of an expectation. I mean, I'm sure they could sort of tell you what you needed to know. But I, I, I mean, I got the impression there wasn't an expectation that you had like a deep poker no, background in order to be doing those. Not at all. And I think, in some respects, 
having someone with a deep poker background write, you know, tournament updates is probably bad, right? Mm-hmm. Considering people now at this point are like, don't dress it up. Don't get cute. Don't be funny. Just tell me what the flop turn of river was and get the chip counts right. So you don't have to be well-versed at poker to be able to do that. So maybe that's even better <laughs> that I was just, you know, just sort of following a, a script. Have you felt that change like in your you know, time in, in, in poker media in terms of people's like expectation, like what, what the kind of audience in general is looking for out of um, that kind of coverage? Yes, I have. And the weird thing, though, is that I think that we're in a bit of a, a, an echo chamber in um, in the poker industry and that the feedback that we listen to isn't always the most important feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be the loudest feedback. It might be the feedback that comes from the people that we want to impress the most, but it doesn't mean it's the most important. And there's always a, you know, there's always a a, a, a tug of war between um, who we are pleasing with our pokertainment, right? And I think that this is something you probably understand very well, Andrew, in that there's a huge portion of the population that just wants to watch people move all in and someone win a million dollars. And there's a very loud portion of the population that I'm going to say is smaller. I don't know how much smaller that wants to hear high-level analysis and have like us press pause and talk about what we just saw like on the turn uh, for three or four minutes. And Put there's a whole lot simulations of people. Up. What's that? Put some solver simulations up. On yeah, the screen. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like a whole bunch of people in between, right? There's people like, I like a little bit of analysis or I like analysis with like a little bit of entertainment. I don't want any entertainment. So, you know, it's, it's, but I have seen the fact that those people on the end of the, the far end of it, um, who want to see the, the the solvers on you know in their in their content we'll call it uh, that's of course I've noticed that of course you know that did exist in in 2005 and when they put me on the big game it was supposed to be like okay this is going to show the highest level analysis that's never been done before we're going to give the top of the line high level analysis and um, they almost didn't hire me because I couldn't do that and. God bless them, and I'm so grateful to this day. They just went out and got somebody uh, to, to, I wouldn't even say coach me, but more or less would just ghostwrite for me. You know, I was learning along, you know, he'd be like, here's why he's doing this, blah, 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 blah. But I would just kind of just sort of change his words slightly and do that analysis on the big game. And that was, that was Gobble Boy. That was Jimmy Fricky. Oh, that's a, yeah, I knew that you had a connection with him. I didn't realize that was the. Yeah, and. Gabo, you know, was sort of did that for me for, I don't know, like seven or eight years. Like even once I went over to England and I started doing the EPT tournament shows, he continued doing it for me. And, you know, there got to a point where we sort of like crossed over each other. And I was like, okay, like I could do nearly this good on my own um, at this point. Once I had to start doing live, uh, you know, my 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 analysis had to I had to be able to take the training wheels off um and i'd like to think that sometimes i say things that are relatively astute but now analysis has gone so far beyond even where it was then that i've kind of just leaned into the entertainment side at this point because um you know i was never i was never at the apex of analysis to begin with and analysis you know from when i was at my apex is is now so much more 
insane and in depth that uh, and Poker Stars has been awesome. Uh, you know, the last couple of years understand that too, and they're like, "Well, we're gonna let Stapes do his thing, we're gonna let James do his thing, and like, let's have a pro in the booth." That's what people want. They don't want me to see me fumbling my way through it. Like, let's just do it. You know, let's just let's just get someone in there that can speak at that level. It seems like that's a pretty established dynamic, not just in poker, but I mean, like having the color person and the person who's more, um, but I mean, that's not just a poker thing. That's yeah. Well, no, a three man booth is not always used though. Right. Or three person booth, I should say. So, you know, we get that a lot of the time now too, you know, like James and I have a, have a great thing and we just get a Sam Grafton there, Maria Ho, uh, you know, Griffin Benger, Adam Levy, all folks that have, you know, that are regulars that pop in and then everyone gets to play to their strengths, which I think is just, I'm really happy with that dynamic. How did you find uh, doing, I mean, with so much having shifted to being online in, in the last two years, I mean, I guess it wasn't the first time you'd done commentary for something online, but like, how is that different from, you know, for a live event? I got to tell you, for someone in my position, it is incredibly difficult. Okay. So like, you know, it's definitely more difficult for James as well, but like, you know, James is still calling the action and Maria is still doing top level analysis and me, who's supposed to be doing color. There ain't a lot of color in online right. poker. Um, <laughs> you got their screen names, you got their avatars. And then I burn that in the first eight minutes. And this final table is going to be about five and a half hours long. There's no emotions. There's no reactions. There's no facial expressions. There's no eyes. There's just no um, real humanity there. And that's a lot of the time what I'm goofing on when I'm trying to make the broadcast funny is just like, oh, yeah, we're all just like silly humans. But so that's been very difficult for me. Uh, Also, it's so fast that let's say something funny does happen or we do have, have found some like comedy goal in the booth. It's, it's like the next hand already. Like someone could be, you know, it could be another bust out happening. So there's just not a lot of room to make it as, as fun as I think it can be. Um, I've been very, we have a great broadcast and a great production. And I think do, you know, as good a job as anybody is broadcasting online poker, but I'm very much looking forward to getting back to live poker and just, you know, and, and being able to, have a little bit more fun with it. Yeah, that's understandable. I think the whole world feels that way, right? I mean, the whole, you know, I think that uh, that uh, some online poker players have had very good years the last couple of years, but I, I think that even the ones who are doing very well are like, shit, sure would be nice to like, you know, go, go play a live tournament in Prague, which by the way is coming up in March. Plugville. <laughs> You know what, Joe? I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm one of those online guys who uh, don't look forward to live. Okay. But 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 listening to you describe live poker in the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. When you talked about, you know, playing with celebrities and like, you know, meeting guys that you become lifelong friends with. You kind of reminded me a little bit about how I enjoy live poker back then so like hearing you talk about live poker even makes like a bitter old online bastard like myself uh appreciate it a little bit more are you saying that i'm doing a good job of marketing poker right now pretty damn good oh yeah i hope you're listening poker stars you hear (laughs) that i'm marketing the shit out of poker right now (laughs) thank you carlos 
do up. How much do you think in, in terms of marketing poker versus marketing poker stars in in general? Like, Because I, mean, I feel like there is to some I mean, I guess this is more true when you started out doing it a while ago, but of just sort of like growing the space in general and, you know, convincing people to like watch any poker at all is still sort of good for whoever's employing you at the time. Yeah, look, I, I kind of um, am a all ships rise and a high tide kind of person in my life. And we don't always get to act that way in the poker world. Competition and emotions run high in that department. Um, but what I will say is that I've been really lucky that when I've been working exclusively with somebody, as I have with, with poker stars for the last couple of years, that the stuff that, you know, even though I can't do things like goof around on another broadcast anymore, um, the the plus side to that is I'm really proud of the stuff we do uh, at Poker Stars. Like I'm really proud of the you know the broadcasts we do, the shows we put out, the sort of things that we give back to the fans and the you know we gave. I don't know if you guys know there's another PSPC coming up. Not sure when yet. TBD. But we on my podcast we gave a guy a, a fucking platinum pass. Like yeah. That's pretty cool, right? Like, would I, would I maybe want to go on some competitor's podcast because it seems fun? Sure. But, like, I like the fact – I'm like, well, at least I'm working for a company that's, like, does awesome things, and I get to be a part of a lot of them. So, you know, and you're still just marketing poker, I think, too. Like, I, I don't have any issue at all, like, telling people – what I think about poker and the reason why I play. I would never encourage someone to play poker to make money. That's just not, I'm not, I'm not even saying you can't. I'm just saying that's not, I would, if someone was like, yeah, like I want to learn to play poker because I think I, I was like, do not do it for that reason, especially with how hard the game is now. Yeah. Not play poker. Right. Cause you think it'd be fun. And it's like a fun night out. And like, you know, there's a, there's a chance you walk home with like a couple bucks this week and you lose the next three. Go for it because that is, that's what I love about it, and so that's the part the part of the game I can market honestly. Yeah, I've um, I, I do a fair bit of coaching, and uh, you know, I, a fair number of people who are serious recreational poker players, but you know, they wanted to go pro sure. or like start making money from it. And you do have to say to people like. I mean, there are ways that you can enjoy being a professional poker player, but it does mean you're not going to get some of the enjoyment that you got from being a recreational poker player. Like totally. it is, it is work. And like the things that you enjoy, I'll just call and see if I make a flush. Like that's, that doesn't fly when you're a professional. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And you know, and that you bring up a good point that um, you, you can still study the game and still put all the work in and do all the things I don't want to do and have that other aspect as well. Right. I, I don't mean to say, you can't have you can't have both because I think I was just kind of neglecting that aspect for a second. So I'm glad you brought that up, right? You can still have fun and be one of the best pros in the world, and those are the people, right, that are like the best of all worlds when you're talking about poker content. Yeah, right? when you, you mentioned people, Sam Grafton. You got Sam Grafton. You got uh, you know the the old school guys. We don't have to name them, right? Like we know who they are. Who the ones who like still put up a decent win rate and still have the personalities from before. But like yes, of the new class. Uh, you've got Sam Crafton, you've got Spraggy, uh, who else is super entertaining? I mean, I guess even higher up than Spraggy. Who am I thinking of right now? Damn, I had another name in my mouth. Um, 
Maria Ho. These are people that, you know, still play at pretty high levels and make it, uh, you know, make it fun to watch. So you do have that. I'm glad you brought up coaching, though, Andrew, because I I got to get my plugs in, too, Joe. No, well, I'm about to do a a solid here. So you know how you're going to come on my podcast, Poker in the Airs, in like a few weeks or something? I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So we have, typically we would do like an interview, but what I would, what I'm asking you to do, and I don't know if, if this, if it's, if it's not worth it, you can say no right here. What we wanted to do is one of our fans suggested that I should get 30 minutes of real poker coaching. Oh yeah, that'd be fun. And maybe that will turn things around for me. Cause I, I'll tell you just the, the long and the short of it is during the pandemic, I was playing uh, two sit and goes a week. Um, two 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 able sit and goes a week, and I haven't won either one of them in over like twenty months. <laughs> and even as even as the worst player at the at in that game, I should have won it more than a few times. Yeah, I feel like just going all in every hand, you could win once. Right. Over. <laughs> so so my my thing on my podcast and all my streams is that like. I like haven't had a hand hold up like in in over like in almost two years. Uh, see so, that part I can't help with. I would charge yeah. a lot more for. But but so what the suggestion is though is that maybe you know maybe and I'm just a big maybe here maybe I'm also bad, and if <laughs> I could get thirty minutes of real coaching, um, that uh, that maybe things will turn around for me. So I was hoping you might be able to give me so, at least some chunk of like coaching and our audience could hear what it's like getting poker coaching. Yeah, I would enjoy that. Great. I think I, I think I might have done some commentary for this game. If I'm, if, I, if I'm thinking about the same game, <laughs> if I'm thinking about the same game, I think I did a, a Oh, wait, yes, you are. Wait, okay, yeah, because they asked me, they're like, that, so, someone's going to analyze our hands afterward, and I was like, opt out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I opted out of that. Yes, are we talk about uh, CP, CPC3, Continental Poker Club, Dan Singer. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's it. That was my game. That was one of my games. That was one of the two. No, another another good friend I've met through poker that, you know, um, I don't get to meet people like that as often now that I'm more of an um, online guy. That's a great example of someone that I've met that isn't in the entertainment industry that's just like a dude from a different walk of life I would never be friends with, and I love him. He's a great guy. Absolutely yes. love that guy. Um yeah, so, oh, in that game, if somebody gets bad beat, they say it was Stapletonian. <laughs> oh, another guy in that game, Steve Albini. He's like a legendary record producer. I don't care about music at all. I never have, but he's just like an awesome dude. I, I like, um, yeah, no, poker's just been so great and so fun. Like, anyway, I hope the, I hope the poker gods are listening. So yes, great. You're gonna come on the podcast. We uh, and we'll do a little poker coaching. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I would enjoy. I, I think I come across better that way than. Uh, I mean, that's sort of my natural, uh, my natural element. Cool. Um, so I was curious. It seems like. I mean, I know we were talking before about like. Uh, it's important to you to not be. Um, bridled, or you know, to, that when you first got the job with. Um, I'm forgetting the name uh, with a uh, card player, you know, yeah. the, 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 it was poker wire. They, they gave you the, um, the leeway to sort of do whatever you, sorry, I forgot where I was going with this. That's okay. I forget all the time. 
Usually just, uh, you know, add a fart noise at the end. Can you do that, Carlos? You got a little uh, technological capabilities for that? No, but I could fart. <laughs> I could just actually <laughs> fart. <laughs> well, it started with something about, I don't know, keep, keeping me on the leash is what it felt like. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess just like how important is that to you in in general? Like, uh, I mean, I guess there's, there's sort of the... the the comedy has that appeal too, right? Of the, you know, you, you can, um, that's com- comedy has been standup comedy, right. To specify. Cause I like to think everything I do is comedy. Um, standup comedy has been, yes, like a release for me and that I can't say all the things that I would like to say when I'm doing a broadcast. Um, and that those rules are perfectly reasonable when doing a broadcast for someone's company um you know what it's we've found a nice happy medium i used to fuck up all the time and have to you know if not apologize be like okay i won't take things that way again i won't do that you know that sort of stuff and that those situations are few and far between now because i think that uh we've i would say we met in the middle but we did find some common ground where i do my thing they're okay with my thing what my thing is they like me for my thing um and we we've just like had a very good sort of uh agreement on where where that is for like the last couple years so that's been cool and then for anything that goes beyond that i get to do stand-up comedy or like you know there's other outlets i have coming on podcasts that's one of them um and then also yeah on my podcast you know they the there's fewer rules and if we want to swear we can and if we want to you know talk about things that are off topic we can so um so that that's been good there have been other times in my poker career where you know things have i'll just say you know like occasionally get uncomfortable when i say or do something um that that you know makes them uncomfortable and it was probably justified every time it happened but uh, i'm better at not doing it now that did remind me what I was going to ask you initially, which is that, and I, I've tweeted about these things also, but I don't have nearly the, the profile that, that you do. You know, you've tweeted about like masks and, and vaccines and some other things that are kind of you know guaranteed to be uh, hot button issues, no matter what you, you say about them. And, you know, one line of thinking would be, well, you could just like, sort of keep your head down and, and just not opine on those, uh, on those issues. Is that something that you feel like compelled to, um, to talk about or like what's the is there a calculation there or you're just like i just say what's on my mind because that's who i am no i actually don't just say what's on my mind because that's who i am uh anymore because i think that there are plenty of things that you shouldn't say that are on your mind and uh it's more the the first option which is that you know i didn't really care about any of this stuff until uh, there was like an election in 2016 that was kind of a big deal and in the lead up to that i saw i was compelled i was compelled i just saw things that made me viscerally upset that brought like genuinely i read one of the things leading up to the 2016 election and i cried Mm -hmm. and i was like oh my god like things are getting bad and so i was like incredibly vocal during that times during those times yes i was an asshole many times I cannot say I did 
more good than harm? I think so, but like I can't prove it. You know, I, when people say some of this stuff may be hurting your cause, I don't disagree with any of that, right? Like I don't think I'm a genius by any means or, or you know, um, even someone that should be listened to. I just know that I have a tiny, tiny little bit of influence. And if I don't use that for what I think is right and good, then I would lose respect for myself. Um, since then, I've reined it in quite a bit. But of course, pandemic, mass, this sort of thing. I have been trying more recently to at least, if I'm going to say something, to make it funny and not just preachy, right? Like, that's what I would prefer to do where, okay, you understand what my opinion is on something, but I'm not just asking you to be pitched to. I'm just asking you to see the comedy in this. Uh, but yes, like, I do think it's certainly, like, I've definitely lost opportunities over it. Over it. I know that for a fact, um, you know, that I would have more money right now if I chose to say nothing um so when oftentimes you know i don't know how you get trolled andrew but uh trolls will tell me that like i'm selling out or i'm like caving to the hollywood whatever it's like hilarious because like i know i would have more <laughs> yeah, money the, the, the opposite would really be the case if, if you weren't saying it that would yeah be exactly yeah. like if i was really going to be a sellout like i wouldn't say anything <laughs> like this so um yeah, it it is just a it is just a compulsion. I understand that many people who have differing opinions of me also are compelled to do what they think is right, and I don't know what cruel joke it is that we're programmed to to think complete polar opposite things are what's good and right. Um, but yeah, that's that's what drives me to say dumb shit sometimes. Well, I, I didn't even mean to imply that it was dumb. I mean, I, I think that the way you're thinking about it is, is roughly how I think about it as well, which is that, like, you know, we have our platforms and we didn't get them for the purpose of pontificating about these things. So, like, yeah. you do sort of, but I mean, but then, like, once you have it, you are sort of like, well, if kind of sometimes you feel compelled to say something. And I think finding that way of, well, how can I, like, give the audience? So, I mean, for me, it's sort of, how can like certain ways of thinking about poker, like we talk a lot about base theorem or you know, statistics and probability mm -hmm. and things like that. And like those have applications when you're thinking about the efficacy of vaccines or uh, things along those lines. So sort of how, how can I cool. create some kind of connection between like the content yeah. that people are here for and That's awesome. like the, the message that I think, you know, and like, which is all, like some part of the goal of the show is to like, just help people think better in general, which I, you know, for most people are not professional poker players, even people listening into the show are not professional poker players so it's like what's the value of bothering to learn poker at all you know it should make you better at thinking about stuff in general i think yeah hell yeah no that's a great point and i uh you know one of the benefits of poker that um that i haven't touched on yet here today is also that um i think even if you don't know the terms you just said andrew or some of the other ones that get used through osmosis if you play poker long enough you get better at figuring things out in your life um just based on you know when when it comes to like interpreting other people's actions especially mm -hmm. um i i get to go like instead of just seeing something at face value be like okay well what what did they do you know what did they do pre-flop what do they do on the flop why are they doing this now um it, it, it can sometimes help you from making 
mistakes uh, in your own life. Um, so yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm there. There's just uh, it's it's endless, really. The applications uh, of thinking poker elsewhere. Yeah, I feel like one of the biggest things for me was just not taking things as personally, even when people are making it very personal. Right. Right? They might be saying something directly to you right. about your face. Um, but then you realize, well, no, he's actually just upset because his aces got cracked 20 minutes ago. And you know that. And so you're like, whatever he's saying to me right now is not really about me. And then you start to realize that like that's true of everybody everywhere. That's not a poker specific thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can it helps you to not not taking things personally is like a great rule of thumb. It's something you're supposed to do in poker, but also Yes, like when I'm talking about interpreting someone's actions, if you can chalk up the thing you're not supposed to be taking personally and find a logical reason why, you don't have to just pretend to not take it personally. You just go, oh, this really isn't about me. You can suss that out. Yeah, or even because you're not always going to have access to that information, but you can still sort of assume or allow for the possibility that it's there that you know sure sure good uh, point too yeah whatever the person is 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 being rude like there's probably a reason that's not i just just go oh this person being rude to me and i'm not going to take it personally because they're obviously a terrible person (laughs) (laughs) that's the justification i do they're obviously incredibly unhappy in their lives and that's why they were just a jerk to me i i had to deal with a little bit of this back when i was on twitch um being a black guy sometimes oh God, i would yeah, get jesus christ i, can't I, I would imagine. get what the fuck? i would get i would get like racist comments in twitch but i never let it bother me and it was well, so also many your times. twitch name was homeless poker player right true <laughs> yeah so i used to uh, a little a little bit of yeah so the story behind that is uh at the time i was living in my van and i was twitching from my van and um that's the the uh, background behind the name but i would get these um comments and um chat and you know everybody like all the other listeners or watchers would be like uh ban that guy and like i would just never ban the guy i would either ignore them or just like um kind of like you said like don't take it personal and just respond to whatever frustration that was causing them to say things like that and to a man every single time they turned around by the end and they were like uh you're actually a pretty good guy (laughs) that's that's fucking cool right you're definitely and that's sort of it right is that sometimes if you kill people with kindness like it does work it it can sort of change someone's mind if not about an idea but about a person right but there's that sort of um that's really impressive that's really impressive you could do that so when i first started on twitch i had the same attitude as you and i was like i'm not gonna ban anybody I got thick skin. I can do like whatever. People are just going to say, I will never ban anyone for any reason because then they'll know they got to me. And then what happened was eventually <laughs> I just started doing the exact opposite and it's way better. <laughs> like I'll just ban people for absolutely no reason. They'll be like, great show. I'll be like, I hate a suck up. You're banned. <laughs> <laughs> like it is, it's kind of become like my bit. Like my thing is to just like people are just like, oh, what kind of mood is Steve since they how many people is to get banned? <laughs> and uh, it's way more gratifying. And like I don't, so I understand, and maybe that worked perfectly for you. For me, what happened was when I was like not banning people, and I was like, I'm not gonna let this bother me. It was bothering me. I was just doing nothing about it. Yeah, <laughs> right. there's a difference between those two things. I've started really aggressively. I don't do a lot of blocking, but really aggressively muting people on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Even if I don't argue with them, just seeing it like 
the wronger they are, the more I'm going to think about like different ways. And like, by definition, like the wronger they are, the less likely it is that you're going to be able to like persuade them. Cause like, if they're open to persuasion, they would have already realized how stupid the thing that they said is. But like in my head, I'm like, I'm just like, and I have a background in in competitive debate. So it's probably worse than average for me. Uh, But I'm just like running through all these ways of like, maybe you convince them with this, maybe you convince them with that. I'm like, like the entire poker world is dogpiling, trying to convince these people right now. Like you're not going to be the one who, who changes their mind. And so finally I just was like, I just need to not see the stupid thing in the first place right and so i don't know if you've seen any of my interactions with with those folks right with like the known folks who i've kind of goofed on i wouldn't say i was subtweeting them but like you know some of them were like you're talking about me and replied to it um and i just don't i just i mean i do engage but they just like write out this whole thing and i just write back nah <laughs> like I just, I'm just not gonna do it. Like I'm just not gonna fight with you about it. I was like, it was a joke. You can, t- like, you can absolutely, like, I own it. Like I'm not denying it. You weren't in my mind when I wrote it, but like, I'm still not gonna argue with you about it. Like, th- thank you for your question. <laughs> yeah, they they hate that. That like to me, that's worse. Um, like they're trolls and they they want that engagement. So when you don't give it to them, um, you, you're kind of winning. Like I had a uh, tweet, uh, I mean, a, um, a DM. So my DMs are open and, uh, okay, yeah. and, and there's one that starts, hello, Carlos, you seem like an educated person, uh, which is why um, I was sad to see. And I stopped reading from there. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> I never Perfect. responded. Yes. And I, I won't delete it. Uh, every, yes every no so this often, is great i fully approve of this this is awesome every so often like right now i'll pull it up and i just read the part up to the point where i realize oh this is a troll uh-huh. and i'll never delete it but i'll never leave i'll never read the rest of it that's fucking great <laughs> if you can have that sort of discipline i that is an awesome tactic so i do this thing now God, i don't really want to give this away on a podcast but i do this thing now where i get the last word and then i mute them <laughs> like I'll just fire back one time and then mute and then I never have to know what they said so it's similar to what you did just yours requires a little bit more self-control yes I, I very much do not have that self-control I, I would have to know what what they didn't approve of and then spend a week thinking about how I could argue with them even though I'm not going to argue with them yeah no if it was right in front of me I would read it too absolutely like the, I get so much joy though out of just reading those first seven words or whatever it was <laughs> and then stopping and I just laugh at this guy like I'm doing right now it's like yeah. he's actually become like you know podcast material without getting his um troll his inner troll fit this is that, great. that is great I love it the other thing I remember, Carlos, Carlos used to be a guest on the show before he became my, the co-host. Um, I, I remember him saying about his Twitch trolls that he would ask them to click like and subscribe before they left. Just to, you know, it's like, hey, it's not going to hurt you anything. Just click like and subscribe before. You <laughs> yeah. Um, was there anything you want to talk about, Joe, that we haven't come around to yet? Uh, yes. Uh, just wanted to touch on uh, just get sort of wet people's oh, the comic appetites book. here. Yeah. yeah, this this comic book that I uh, – so uh, a little over a year ago, this comic book company came to me, and they were like, yeah, our business model is we find interesting people, we write a comic book about them, we get it to sort of market to their communities, and then um, from there, once we show there's – you know, we sold a, b- a bunch of them, uh, we try to make a movie out of it. Would you be interested in this? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, sounds amazing. 
And uh, and long story short, I mean, they're an indie comic book company, right? But lo- long story short, they, uh, they're called T Bub T Pub. Uh, they, uh, we, we, uh, I wrote, not only did I pitch them an idea that, that typically they go off and do the comic and then come back and like get notes from you. I wrote it, co-wrote it, um, with this fellow named Neil Gibson, who's like their main writer, has written tons of comic books. His most famous is something called Twisted Dark. Um, and some people, uh, who like comic books know Twisted Dark. And so, yeah. And right now it's in the phase of, um, it's in the phase where uh, the, the artist is drawing it. And I, I, apparently it goes through a lot of phases. There's like a pencil phase, then an ink phase, and then a color phase. But it's a long comic book. It's uh, loosely based on my life. Um, like the first third of it are all real life incidents that happen to me at or around poker tables. And then it sort of gets into like a shady, I owe the wrong people money kind of situation. But that that part's beta. Um and that should be done. We're hoping, I mean, because it's so long, it takes like 10 months or so to do all the art for it. So we're hoping maybe by early next year, it'll be out. Um, and I'm pretty excited about that. I mentioned Poker in the Ears, my podcast. If you guys uh, liked my appearance on this show and you don't listen to that, we do get some great guests uh, over the last little more than a year or so. We've had uh, Aaron Sorkin, Josh Molina, John Hamm, uh, Eric Seidel, uh, Doug Polk, Brad Owen, Andrew Nemir on the most recent episode. So uh, we do, you know, a pretty fun, good show over there. Every Monday, I do the uh, Sunday Millions Final Table replay streams. Um for uh, we do those live on twitch that's pretty fun me and james and uh, maria ho let's see vote in the gpi awards and i guess the last thing is that um i i just want to know what does your audience what do you guys what do you guys think of this nft thing there's a lot of poker <laughs> nft companies that are like coming to me and they're like we want you to talk we want you to like take a look at our project take a look at this and that and i just i don't know i don't like if it's something people would like and enjoy, like there's these guys, Crypto Hold'em, that have come to me. And then there's another one called the Nutted Society. I don't like, and I'm still trying to figure out if this is something that the poker community actually likes, other than a key few who, you know, have bought insanely expensive ones and made a lot of money on it. I don't know. Do you, do you see NFTs and poker going together, Andrew and Carlos? I, um, Okay, so I'll say that obviously, um, as an online poker player, I see the value in the relationship between crypto and poker um, because yeah, that allows us sure. to um, fund the accounts. Uh, I don't understand NFTs as much. Based on what I what I have learned, is that it's kind of like not too much different than investing in in like high art. But I also really don't see much of the value in that either in terms of like I see so many people buying these things yeah. and kind of touting their worth. But I see very few people selling them for a profit. What if I agree with you there? What if when it comes to the poker ones, what if the NFT was like a poker hand and then they would like occasionally run a board out? And if you connected with it in the right way, you would win money. Hmm. That's a, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely want to learn more. About I think that. it's interesting, but I, again, I don't know. Like, I'm with you, right? Like, I think it's interesting, but I'm not saying. <laughs> like, let's find out some more about it. That's that's the kind of exactly. stuff people are sort of uh, 
sort of pitching to me, and I'm just like, I, I do think it's interesting. I just, I, but I have a lot more questions. Yeah, I think there's a very like gold rushy vibe around it right now, yeah. which like very much like the real gold rush. It's not that there's no value there, but there's also there. I mean, this just yeah, you know, I don't know a ton about it myself, but the vibe yeah. I get is like there's also a lot of um, delusional like get rich quick you know sort of thinking and then a lot of people taking advantage of that and like probably the best way to make money from it is not to find the gold but to like take advantage of the people who are trying to get right rich sell quickly. someone some fucking pickaxes exactly. <laughs> um so yeah i'm i'm sort of i i see the potential value in this space but i'm pretty skeptical of a lot of what's happening there and like say i i i, I don't know enough to like endorse any you know particular sure. project or something yeah, that's 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 kind of where I'm at right now. But um, I appreciate hearing your take on it too, because you much more eloquently. You like I was like thinking something. You're like, oh yes, those are the words. Those are the words for what I was thinking. So, but yeah, guys, thanks for thanks for having me on here, and thanks for letting me uh, plug all my all my uh, various things. What, is there anything else? Is there anything? you can follow me on Twitter at Stapes if you want to see me fight with anti vaxxers. <laughs> highly recommend it highly recommend it here i'll tell you what one joke from my act about um so i think that the new heroes of the pandemic are um the people that stand outside bars and restaurants checking people's vaccine cards because if someone doesn't have it you already know they're an asshole <laughs> like nobody's no like if you tell someone their coupon is expired there's like a chance they'll be understanding they'll go oh sorry and they'll just if you tell someone they have to leave a place because they're not vaccinated, you know they came there looking for a fight to begin with. <laughs> like nobody's nobody's walking up to like TGI Fridays getting asked for a vaccine card and being like, "What? There's a vaccine? Holy shit! I gotta get I gotta go get that. Oh, I'll be right back." Okay, that's the that's Good the kind point. of <laughs> that's the kind of material you'll see. Um, never probably. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, it was it was a pleasure talking to you, Joe. Thank you for taking the time. I guess we'll have a chance to to chat again soon enough. Um, yes, yeah, we'll talk to you real soon, Carlos. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Once you said uh, who you like, what your deal was, I was like, I remember the the van guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what everybody knows me. The van was way more popular than I am. Um, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was um, my calling card a couple of years ago. Cool. Well, it was awesome now, now, yes. now the new thing is I just live in hotel rooms with um, comps, and uh, that's a lot more comfortable than a van. Oh my god, what a life! <laughs> wow. I, really, I mean, Carlos is really the one you need to have on the show. <laughs> Look, I tell you what, we're doing you know like forty something episodes this year. I may, I may come a call on Carlos. I would definitely be um, um, honored to be on. Cool, man. All right. Well, it was an honor to be here. All right, great talking to you, Joe. Thanks again. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. of a car, the light of the fair passage of a bill, and the will sign us in.